beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. At first glance, this text from Mark 16 presents us with various kinds of difficulties. In the first place, we are told before the start of verse 9 that some of the earlier manuscripts do not include Mark 16, verses 9 through 20. It will take us too far afield to go into all the details of the reason for this statement, except to say that scholars agree with this. They also agree that it is probably a later edition intended to harmonize Mark's account with those of Matthew, Luke, and John. These other three Gospels have some final instructions for the disciples that Mark does not have. Without it, the ending at verse 8 is very abrupt. However, no one who believes the Scriptures would deny that God would be incapable of having these things described in this passage happen. Indeed, as we will see, most of the signs listed here did take place in the days of the apostles and are recorded in the book of Acts. Lord Jesus himself even said in Matthew 17, verse 20, that nothing will be impossible for you. He said, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Matthew 17, verse 20. And so it's not a problem to leave this as part of, this section as part of God's word. Logs. But what are we to make of what is described here in this text? Jesus says to his disciples that they will drive out demons in his name, that they will speak in new tongues, that they will pick up serpents with their hands, and that when they drink deadly poison, they will not be hurt. And finally, that when they lay their hands on sick people, they will recover. All they have to do is to believe, and they will be able to do these things. The question is, if we have faith, should we be able to perform these miracles today? Some charismatics think so. They claim to be endowed by the Holy Spirit with the gift of faith healing, and speaking in tongues. Some even refuse medicine from the doctors because they believe that through faith, they and their children will be made well. There are even extreme cases of people picking up snakes and drinking poisonous substances just so that they could prove their strong faith. Now, what are we to think of that? Is there something wrong with us? Do we lack in our faith because we can do these things? Why don't we have those special gifts of the Holy Spirit? Or are such charismatic gifts meant only for the early church? Well, through faith we share in the resurrection and all the power that goes with it. There is no doubt that the Holy Spirit gives enormous power to each person who believes. 
But exactly what is that power? That's what I will preach to you about. It's about the miraculous power the Holy Spirit gives to the believers in Christ. And then we will look at the relationship between faith and miracles in the first place, and secondly, faith and God's word. So the miraculous power the Holy Spirit gives to the believers in Christ after the resurrection and the ascension. First, and the relationship between faith and miracles. If we want to know whether the kinds of things that happened in the early church ought to be happening also today, and then we first have to take a look at what took place at that time. What happened after Jesus rose from the dead and the apostles were on their own? Did they then continue to perform miracles? No doubt you all know what the answer to that question is. They did. After Christ's resurrection and ascension, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the apostles performed all kinds of miracles. Just think about Pentecost itself. The Holy Spirit descended upon the people who were gathered there, and tongues of fire came to rest on each of them, and then they spoke in tongues. Everyone could understand in their own language what was said. It was a miracle. After that, we also read about demons being cast out and about the disciples healing the sick. Listen to what it says in Acts 5, verse 16. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Acts 5, verse 16. Miracles were performed all the time. Even the apostle Paul performed miracles. In Lystra, for example, Paul healed a man who was crippled in his feet and who had been lame from birth, never having walked in his life. All that Paul did was to say, stand up on your feet, and he did. And when Paul was on the island of Malta, a viper bit him. However, he suffered no ill effects from the snake bite. These are just some examples. Many others could be cited. And so the kinds of things described in our text indeed did happen. However, there is a very important matter we ought to consider with this. Those miracles, brothers and sisters, did not always happen. As a matter of fact, most of the time they did not. Even at times when you would most expect it. Think about the Apostle James. In Acts 12, verse 2, we read together about his martyrdom. Herod had him beheaded with a sword. No one intervened. There was no angel to prevent that from happening. Right after that, James was beheaded. And right after James was beheaded, Herod arrested Peter. However, an angel did appear in that case and rescued him from prison. He saved him from certain death. Why did a miracle happen in the one case and not in the other? And what about Stephen, one of the first deacons? 
He was brought before the Sanhedrin where he spoke with great courage about his faith. Stephen was a very able defender of the gospel. You would think that that would be enough for the Lord God to intervene and to prevent it from happening that he would be killed. But no angel comes to his aid in this case either. There is no miracle. He is stoned to death. What about what happened to the apostle Paul? He was beaten and whipped and left for dead several times. He suffered shipwreck. He was also jailed many a time. How is that possible? Could God not have prevented these things from happening? Couldn't he have performed some miracle? Yes, of course. He didn't. And what about the thorn in Paul's flesh? We do not know exactly what it was, but we do know that it was quite painful and debilitating. We also read that he prayed three times to have the thorn removed, but the Lord did not answer those prayers either. Why not? Do you think that Paul lacked faith? Why could the man who could lay his hands on so many for healing, why could he himself not be relieved from the thorn in his own flesh? Think also about the martyrs of the early church. They were strong believers, yet they were thrown to the lions. Their property was confiscated. Their families were dispersed. And they were made to suffer great hardships. No miracles for them either. Many perished. So it cannot be that those miracles did not happen because of lack of faith. So then, what is the case? Well, what do you think the purpose of miracles is? Why does God have them happen? Why does he give the gifts of healing, of tongues, and of prophesying? Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, deals with this in his letter, in his first letter to the Corinthians. He speaks there about the various gifts that are given to the congregation at Corinth. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 12. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now, why do you think he writes this to them? Well, he does that because there is a division in the congregation because of these gifts. That's clear from what he says in chapter 12, verse 25, and chapter 14, verse 33, where he speaks about division and disorder and lack of peace in the congregation. And that division and discord was due to the way these various gifts were being used. Those who did not have, for example, the gift of healing were jealous of others who were able to do that. They also wanted to have that gift. And so it was with the other gifts as well. They became envious of each other. They misused those gifts. They used them for their own honor and glory. 
They use them in order to show off to others. Look, look at what I can do. But what was the purpose of those gifts? Well, God gave those gifts only for his glory, not for the glory of man. He gives them for no other reason than that his church may be built up and increase. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. That's what it was all about. Those gifts are given to build up the church, not to tear it down. But that's what happens when you make others to feel left out. Then you make divisions in the church. He makes that clear in verse 23 and 24 of chapter 14, where he compares the speaking of tongues with prophesying. He says, while the speaking of tongues, that's one thing. Prophesying is something else. Prophesying is understood by all. But that's not the case with the speaking in tongues. Through prophesying or preaching, people will be convicted of their sins and so will seek their salvation in Jesus Christ. And so that's the greater gift. But what is the ultimate gift of the Holy Spirit? What is the one gift that they should aspire to, that they should desire, and that excels? That's the gift of love. The gift of love that Paul so beautifully describes in the well-known passage of 1 Corinthians 13. He says that if they really want to build up the church, then they must show love towards one another. Love does not boast. Love is patient, kind. True love seeks the well-being of others. Paul says in that same chapter that all those exceptional gifts that speaking in tongues and healing are indeed wonderful, but they are temporary. For he says in verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Love, on the other hand, together with faith and hope, those three will last forever, but the greatest of these is love. When the Lord Jesus Christ gave those special charismatic gifts to his disciples, it was a very special time. At that time, the church was still being built up. It had to spread throughout the whole world. And the Lord God used the miracles to bring man to faith in support of the word. They confirmed the word, as it says in verse 20 of our text. When then did they cease, you may ask? Well, it appears that they ceased after the apostles died. You do not hear about these kinds of gifts and miracles any longer in the early church. And we have a lot of material about the early church. So it doesn't mean that they ceased altogether. That they ceased altogether. Miracles do happen. 
also today. There are many examples of that. But why did they? And why do they occur? Well, brothers and sisters, only in service to the word of God. Only so that God's greatness and power can be manifest here on earth. It is all about the glory of God and not of man. Makes us to the second point. Brothers and sisters, the word always comes before the miracle. God spoke and it came to be. It was the word that made the miracle happen. You can never separate the word from the miracle. The word, however, is most important. The Lord God did not intend for the disciples to become mere magicians and miracle workers. No, they had to go out and preach everywhere. That was their most important task. That's also the case today. Everything has to serve the word so that the gospel may be advanced and so that man would come to repentance and give glory to God. The Lord determines how the word is spread and by what means faith is created and strengthened. And he uses different means at different times. He is always in control of all events. There are times for miracles and times for no miracles. Just think about the life of the Lord Jesus himself. He could perform a miracle any time. And he did that also on many occasions. However, certain times were inappropriate for miracles. When Christ hung on the cross, he could easily have removed himself and walk away from it all. But he knew that that did not serve the Father's purpose. And therefore, he had to go through with it. He could not walk away from the cross. It was time for God's purpose in him and through him to be fulfilled. The time had come. His task on earth was at an end. The Lord God determined that. And so the Lord God also determines when miracles do happen and when they do not. And he also determines how our lives are used to the furtherance of God's kingdom. In Luke 10, we read about the sending out of the 70 disciples. 70, they were sent out two by two. And in Luke 10, we read that the 70 returned with joy and they said to the Lord, even demons submit to us in your name. They were happy. They were glad about that. But do you know what the Lord Jesus said to them? He said, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What's so important about their names being written in heaven? Well, because that shows that they are God's children and that he is using them to bring the gospel. Everything is subordinate to the word of God, to the gospel of salvation. Peter was allowed to preach the Pentecost sermon. James was beheaded. Stephen was stoned to death. 
but the other deacons were allowed to continue to do their work. Nevertheless, God used all these men for this purpose. James was the first martyr of the Christian church. There were many more after him. It is said that the blood of martyrs was the seed of the church. There's a certain truth to that. But the people saw how they died for the sake of the gospel. They saw how those martyrs could not deny the truth and how they were willing to live to give their lives for it. And it made others think. It also made Paul think as he stood there while Stephen was stoned. Not long after that, he too was converted on the road to Damascus. The Lord uses whatever means he deems appropriate at any moment in time. Not so that our names may be glorified, but so that his name may be glorified. But you may say, well, isn't it too bad that today no longer miracles are being performed? Wouldn't, be, wouldn't it be much better if that were the case? Would we, not, would we not be much more effective in spreading the gospel if we were able to do that? However, do you really think that miracles aren't happening right now? Yeah. Every day. Every moment of each day. Open your eyes. The very fact that you and I are alive is a miracle. The fact that the sun is shining is a great miracle as well. The fact that the grass is green again and growing is also a miracle. So is the gift of birth and everything else here in this creation, which shows that there is an almighty God who created it all and who sustains it all. These are all the gifts of the Holy Spirit who breathes life into everything. Without God, the Holy Spirit, everything would be dead. But the unbeliever, the world around us, is blind to it all. They're blinded by their own desire for self-sufficiency. By their desire to be their own boss and their own saviors. Whatever does not fit their agenda, they reject. And that is why they will not be convinced, even if you were to do something out of the extraordinary, which we would call a miracle, they would not be convinced by that. It won't give them faith. Why not? Because their hearts need to be changed. And only then will they change their thinking, their minds. Why do you think, for example, that even though it is an indisputable scientific fact that a baby in a womb is a human being with its own bloodstream and its own DNA, that they will deny such an obvious scientific truth? Because that truth is inconvenient. And so they are deluded and blinded by their own selfish ambition or by their own fears. They want control at all costs. They want to control their own destiny. It is for that very reason that they do not want to believe in God. 
To worship God requires you trust in him. It requires that you depend on him for everything. It requires you to listen to him and to allow him to define you as to who you are. To believe in him means to glorify him and not yourself. It means to boast in God and not in your own piety and abilities. It means to humble yourself totally before God. Oh sure, life is difficult. Things happen that leave us perplexed at times. And you'll do anything to find a way out. You or a loved one is afflicted with a terrible disease. Or you're confronted with death. Or with financial ruin. Friends betray you. Loved ones abuse you. You're full of despair. At times like that, we feel powerless and at our wit's end. However, it is only if you believe in the power of God and His Holy Spirit that you can overcome these things. Through faith, you and I have been given the power of the resurrection, gift of life. When Jesus told His disciples that through faith, They can move mountains. He stood before them as one who is able to do anything, even to defeat death. Now that defeat was the greatest miracle on earth. He crushed Satan and death, showing that he is the God of life. And therefore we have to listen to him. To believe the words that he spoke. Only God's words can give you life. All the miracles that the apostles were able to perform after Pentecost, they could not convert one single person. Miracles don't convert people. Why not? Because only God's word can do that. Only God who works in the hearts with his Holy Spirit can bring about a wonderful change in a person's heart in a person's life. Only the Holy Spirit can bring you from death to life. And brothers and sisters, that is the word that has been given to us right now. Isn't that great? Farmers are just about finished seeding their fields. Perhaps they're totally finished already, I don't know. There are a lot of components that have to be favorable for a good crop to grow. Soil has to have the right nutrients, has to have the right moisture, has to have the right account of warmth and sun. There are many factors that come into the equation. And then we may worry and fret whether our crops will grow or may wonder about our own health and well-being, about our jobs. And then, brothers and sisters, we have to remember the power of God's word. The Holy Spirit works with the word to create life and to sustain it. He makes the crops to grow and life to flourish. Sometimes God takes things away from us to remind us to depend on him. He provides for us. 
He's the Almighty God. But again, he does that in his way and in his time. Important to remember that. God has a purpose for everything. And he knows what's best. Sometimes he puts obstacles in the way. Sometimes he makes us cry out to him because of the difficulties that life can bring. Think about how that functioned in Paul's life. He cried out to God. He used the thorn in Paul's flesh to make his name great, however. Paul had to acknowledge that when he was weak, he is strong. For in his weakness, God's greatness was shown. God's power was shown in the conversions that came about all over the Roman Empire through the preaching of Paul. And that thorn kept Paul humble. It made him depend all the time on God alone. Brothers and sisters, a great miracle occurred when the Son of God rose from the dead. It was the greatest miracle on earth. The Son of God was victorious over death and over Satan. He gave his Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to strengthen us in our faith. Through faith, we may share in the miracle of life. The wonderful miracle of God is that he shows his love for you and for me in spite of our sins. Through him, we're born again. We're given life. Eternal life, even. And now God shares his power with us. Miserable sinners. The God of miracles is our God. Now and forever. And through faith, we may share in his power. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that something to be thankful for? Amen.